Tools for Living, Room to Grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 121. I love hearing stories of mighty women of faith from the past, women who loved Jesus and stepped into their callings in unique and powerful ways. In this episode, I talked to biographer Michelle Yuli about her new book on Letty B. Cowman. She's the author of two devotionals that have really impacted my life. The most famous is Dreams in the Desert, and it's sold countless millions of copies. But there's so much more to Letty's story that I believe God's going to use to not only inspire you, but help you step into everything He's called you to be. Well, I'm excited to have Michelle Yule with me in the living room. Michelle was with me talking about Mrs. Oswald Chambers, but you are going to talk to us about another dear friend of mine, Mrs. Charles B. Cowman. And, you know, there's probably a lot of my listeners who have no idea who we're talking about. Can you tell us about, first of all, these two women, but how you came to be interested in these women writers from years gone by? Sure. Um, well, it started really with Biddy. And what happened was a publisher was looking for a World War I novel that would start the day the war began and end the day the war ended. It needed to be historical fiction and it needed to be inspirational. And my agent and I, whom I share with Joanna, were like, how do you come up with an inspirational story about World War I? So we batted ideas around, but I had just finished reading David McCaslin's um, a biography of Oswald Chambers. And I said, oh, what's the Oswald Chambers story? And she said, what Oswald Chambers story? Well, he led a revival among the Anzac troops during World War I. I said, we just need to fashion a story around that. And she said, can you do it? And I, of course I said, yes, of course. And so the Lord basically downloaded a, a story in which Oswald and his wife, Biddy Chambers, are characters in the book. And um, I started writing the book and... <laughs> My word, Biddy started taking over the book, which is not unusual for a novelist that you, some character becomes really strong, but her voice just came really far out. And I had done a lot of research on them both, been to Wheaton, seen pictures and so forth. And then just about 10 years ago this week, I had an opportunity through our mutual friend, Robin Gunn, to meet the chairman of the Oswald Chambers Publication Association on the one day I was free and the one day he was free in Glasgow, Scotland. The Lord's hands were all over the Chambers books. And um, when talking to him, I said, well, have you thought about a biography of Biddy because she's taken over my novel? And he said, no, but maybe you're the person to do it. I laughed and then I wrote it. <laughs> so that's where Biddy came from. And, you know, Biddy and Oswald Chambers have taken over our lives really for the last 10, 12 years. We talk about them all the time. They're regular participants in our dinner conversation, even though they're not there. Um, uh, and I ended up writing two, a novel, Biddy's uh, biography, and then I, I wrote a, a commentary on my utmost for his highest, just one chapter, my favorite one, which is about prayer. When I finished writing about Biddy, I thought, well, what do I write next? And the obvious companion piece was Streams in the Desert. I knew absolutely nothing about Letty, about Streams. I had no idea how big her story is. I mean, her story is bigger than Biddy's was in a, in a truly stunning way. And um, right before COVID shut down the United States and the world, I spent two weeks at the One Mission Society, which is the successor to the Oriental Missionary Society that Letty and Charles Cowman founded in 1901, came up with eight gigabytes of data, came home, and I wrote the biography of a woman who is so overlooked by 
not just devotional writers. I mean, everyone loves the devotion, but her role in missionary work what is stunning. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's not just the Oriental Missionary Society. It's what God did as a result of that founding and then what he used my streams in the desert to, to do throughout Europe with the gospel. It is a stunning, stunning achievement. And it's just a woman who was really, um, she grew up 300 miles uh, west of Lauren Ingalls Wilder and on the banks of Plum Creek. I mean, if she was mm-hmm. in a Lauren Ingalls Wilder she would be Nellie Olson, which the good news is, though, is that Nellie Olson is redeemable. <laughs> she came back and she changed the world. And an amazing, amazing story. So I'm happy to tell it. Really delighted to. Well, I'll tell you, I was so excited to interview you. And I'm going to put the link in the show notes uh, about Biddy because um, Oswald, he and I, you know, he's been my mentor, my spiritual mentor uh, most of my life from the moment that my my really uh, another mentor, pastor's wife, put his devotional in my hands. And so I call him Oswald, Oswald Buddy, my buddy Oswald. (laughs) And so Biddy... It, it really is, you guys have to listen to it because it is such an extraordinary story of this young woman who had giftings in stenography and shorthand, who goes to serve with her husband in Egypt and takes notes on all of his sermons, and he dies at a young age. And yet, because of her giftings matched with his messages, we still have his sermons today that have literally changed millions of lives. Now, when it came to Letty, I had seen my grandma read Streams in the Desert. That was one of her devotionals. And so I had actually walked into um, a bookstore and was looking at the sales table. And there was a compilation of Streams in the Desert and Springs in the Valley. And I picked it up because grandma loved it. And so I put it on the shelf. And I I remember I did take it down and try to read it, but it, it is kind of older English. These were written back in the 1930s. And so um, I do remember thinking as a young, I think it was probably 34, 35, I thought, oh, this is kind of depressing. <laughs> and then, and then I went through my dark night of the soul. And this book became bread and water and air and life and after utmost it's and the bible of course the bible and utmost it has shaped my life in in just absolutely powerful ways and i believe really needs to be brought to an, this new audience of women because there are things that Letty walked through that she touches on in the devotional that I'm not sure we're hearing in our um, 21st century American Christianity because these devotionals were really birthed out of a difficult time. Can you talk about that? Sure. One of the things I've asked people for for the last couple of years is if they've ever heard of the Great Village Campaign. There's a point to this. I think I've met three people over the years who have. And the Great Village Campaign was an idea that was uh, conceived by Charles Kalman, Letty's husband, and then they instituted it. Between 1912 and 1918, a team of missionaries with the Oriental Missionary Society, both Western missionaries as well as local missionaries, visited every home in Japan and left a gospel tract, um, 10.2 million homes over that five and a half year period, basically. 
no one's ever heard of this, which is a phenomenal missionary um, endeavor. And I mean, we can't really prove it happened, but these are trustworthy people. And as much as anyone could prove, 10.2 million tracts were given out. Well, to do that required a huge sum of money. And Charles and Letty did a lot of work raising funds overseas. And um, Letty's, Charles' heart began to give out just as it was ending towards the end of 1917, 1918. Remember, this is during the, the Great War, World War I, all this was going on. And he was sent home basically to die. And so between 1918 and 1925, she sat by his bedside, helping him, reading to him, singing hymns, playing the piano, praying with him, anything to keep her beloved husband, they had no children, alive. He believed he would be healed. Mm -hmm. Um, He was not healed the way they expected. But he had angina, serious heart issues. And at that time in the early 20s, the only way they knew to deal with that was to drink coffee with caffeine in it. The hotter and the stronger, the Mm -hmm. better. Which meant they just didn't sleep at night. He was so wired with caffeine so that his heart would work, he couldn't sleep. Well, Letty, during all their desperate deputation tours, all the times they were out raising funds around the world, would pick up the pamphlets in a church, you know, the church bulletin or magazines, and she would read all those clever things that people would put in them, and she'd keep them in a, like a manila folder. I happened upon one of these while I was in the archives, and I opened the folder, and all these pieces of paper fluttered out like confetti everywhere. But those are all um, just things that she had clipped to go back to. She took all of those and she put them all together, wise sayings. She matched them with spiritual truth out of scripture. And that is what Streams in the Desert became. Um, Mm. The book was first published in 1924, January 24. They didn't expect it to do particularly well. Charles was still alive. And um, they printed 3,000 copies and they sold out again and again and again and again. The book has never been out of print since then. But it was built Mm. on grief. And um, while it's not all about grief, a lot of the clippings or the little sayings in each each day's devotional lend your way either towards grief and through grief or point you to Jesus because he, of course, is the only way you're going to get through grief. Mm. So in a sense, unlike Oswald Chambers, she didn't pen each devotional. She picked the best of the devotional writing that was going on at that time. She would scour used bookstores, anything to read to Charles to encourage him, to affirm him, and to help him pray and remember that Jesus was in charge. Yeah. And that's exactly what it has done for me. You know, even now, past the dark night of my soul, I think it's been so powerful to just shape my thinking that, because I I don't know about you, but Michelle, I'm not sure that we've really had a good theology of suffering. We haven't understood that God often works in difficulties, even though Scripture is full of just people who went through really difficult times and yet found God faithful. Now, that's not to say that God, you know, in order to be used by God, you only, you know, He puts you through tough times. However, we have an enemy of our soul who who does love to put us through tough times. He loves to drag our heart away from God. And I think for me, during that time where I had gone through um, a breakup of some very dear friendships and the removal of people's approval, and no matter how hard I tried to fix it, I couldn't. And Letty came beside me unknowingly, my dear friend Letty, 
Can't yeah. wait to meet her and Biddy in heaven. I bet you can't either. Oh, yeah. And um, and just really pointed me to Jesus, pointed me to that there's a bigger thing going on than my temporary happiness, my temporary comfort, that there is a better life ahead and there's a better way of walking through these difficult times here on earth. And yet, like you said, this woman was incredible because even through all of his sickness and following, she kept this missionary endeavor going. Uh, what were some of the things you learn about this incredible woman? You know, she was raised the daughter of a banker in a small town in southwestern Iowa. And uh, she was the youngest child by a big gap. Her parents were 49 and 50 years old when she was born. And uh, her teenage uh, siblings were a little uncomfortable with what their parents were doing to produce a baby at this age. <laughs> and so she grew up, though, in the lap of luxury, really, and was she had a lovely voice. She loved to play the piano. There are pictures of her just dressed to the nines all the time. And her parents had envisioned a great future for her as an opera singer in Europe. I mean, who knows where this idea came from with small town in Iowa, but there it did. Um, and when she was 13 years old, her mother brought home the local wire operator for the uh, telegraph. And so... Um, her mother brings home this young Charles Kalman, and she says, this boy just looked lonely, and, and I brought him home for tea, not thinking anything of the fact he's 15, she's 13. What could it be? They're just children, right? How old was she? My age at that point. Oh, we aren't noticing things like we're supposed to. And uh, Charles came for tea every day, and she just didn't realize that at 13 and 15, they could fall in love, which is exactly what happened. And his mother... Uh, wrote to him and said, uh, you're hanging out with people who are way, way out of our league. You need to get moving and you need to go somewhere else before you break your heart. And, you know, he listened to his mother and he put in for a transfer. And just before he left, he came to tea and he asked if he could take Letty for a walk in their beautiful, you know, bucolic fields and lakes and whatever it was. <laughs> She's very big on flowers and nature. And um, he said, he says to her, well, I love you. Will you wait for me? And she thought about it. I mean, you know, she was 13, but she didn't think about it. And then she just said, yes, I will wait. Mm -hmm. And off he went on his great adventure. He was a telegraph operator in the far west, ended up in Chicago. And he came home, came back six years later to see if she had waited. Well, meanwhile, her parents are going out of their minds because this hard-headed, now beautiful girl won't fall in love with this guy or that guy. And she's just like not saying much at all. Just no, 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 no. They offer her to go to Europe and study opera. No, no. And then one day, Charlie Kalman comes back and he says, did you wait? And she said, yes. And she presents him to her parents and her father doesn't even recognize him because now he's a man. He's not some, you know, spindly kid. And he says, wait, how, who is this? What's going on with this? And, and he looks at Charles and he says, can you support her in the way she is accustomed to being living, to being raised? And he said, why don't you ask her? And once mm -hmm. Letty made a decision, Joanna, she never backed out. That was her decision. She went forward and that was it. And they were married a couple months later. Her parents still not really sure what happened. And he took her off and uh, became a very wealthy and highly successful Western Union telegraph operator. Uh, they wound up in Chicago just in time for the Chicago World's Fair in 1892, a polished and beautiful couple. She took piano lessons and sang and read novels. And one day, 
got a little notice in the mail, and it was from a retired opera singer talking about her her faith and singing. And Letty thought, well, Charles is at work. I'll go to that. And she heard the gospel, gave her heart to the Lord, and it all turned around. Hmm. And you know, Charles, who did have some knowledge of faith, just could not believe she could do this to him. I have worked and scrambled hard. I can't become a Christian and work in a Western Union office. You've ruined our life. And uh, she wouldn't bow because once she made a decision, she always followed through. Eventually, he became a Christian. And then he was just this hard-charging, determined, ambitious man. And once he made a decision, <laughs> the two of them were yeah. unstoppable. And uh, within a couple of years, they they had met Juji Nakata, who was known as the D.L. Moody of Japan. He was also a friend of Oswald Chambers. And they made arrangements to meet him in Japan and open a faith-based missionary organization, the Oriental Missionary Society. And that's what they did. And Letty Alt later said that Charles Kalman saved me from a life of luxury. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love that you have pictures of them as a couple throughout the book. And she they were a beautiful couple, just beautiful. You know, I think the thing that I thought about um just how the how the devotional is set up is just so life-giving because it kind of is around a theme. You definitely come away with with um the message that the Lord has for you. And I could just imagine Letty putting those pieces together, thinking about all those hours that probably seemed wasted as they just sat there together and she read these inspiring things. And it makes me think just exactly like Biddy and Oswald, what seemed like a waste, how could this man die? And now for Charles, how could this man die? And yet God in his sovereign wisdom used used those moments to to create something that is so powerful much like Paul being imprisoned is part of probably the reason why we have much of the new testament how has this affected you studying these women and these lives well and particularly with Letty Kamen I sat on the floor in the archives there at OMS looking at pictures and I came across a beautiful, beautiful picture because of what happens later of a group of um, men from an Asian country. And they, they had a portable baptismal font. It looked kind of like a canvas tent on a frame. And there was a man in it with a beaming face. There were men standing around beaming. They're about to baptize this man. And it's such a beautiful picture. I'm, I'm just grinning right back because everyone is just so happy. And I realized, oh, my word, all these men are dead because the mm. country where they were, um, has been killing Christians ever since. And mm. I obviously have known these people because that picture was taken a hundred and some years ago. But I just was really struck by the magnitude of what missionaries give up. Again, I was writing this during COVID where two friends of mine who were missionaries were stuck on furlough in the United States and both were desperate to get back to their field. One yeah. was going to Papua New Guinea the other to a country in Europe that must go unnamed. And I kept thinking, why are you such in such a hurry? Your family's here. You can help teach kids. You can go to the grocery store and everyone. I don't get this. That's where God put me. I've got to get there. And mm. um, both of them, as soon as the doors were open, they were gone. And the one of them to Papua New Guinea had to fly east. She had to fly east around the world, three all-nighters to get to Papua because Australia was closed uh, to anyone. 
So it was just truly stunning to me, the commitment to the gospel that they had. And so that's why I dedicated the book to them and then to just about everybody else I knew who had been a missionary, whether it had been a successful missionary or who had not judged themselves as successful missionaries, but they had gone. And also mm-hmm. a variety of um, people I know who run Christian camps because they are missionaries as well. I yeah. just was so awed by their willingness to go the extra mile and two and three and ten around the world for the sake of the gospel. I just felt really humbled by that whole mm. endeavor. And I've been listening now and reading a lot more missionary stories than I had before. But I'm um, so appreciative of them. And uh, thanks be to God they're there. Yeah. Letty did not let up. And, you know, Charles died and she grieved mightily. He died. He knew that Streams in the Desert was a success before he died, but then he was gone. And the head of the Oriental Missionary Society was very tight. It was Letty, Charles, their friend Ernest Kilborn, Juji Nakata, and then a, a wonderful Japanese man whose name I never remember to pronounce properly, so I'm not going to butcher it at this point. Um, he ran the school because they began the Oriental Missionary Society Bible School, the first thing, um, just like OC did, Oswald Chambers did in London. We start up a Bible training college in London. We start up the Bible Training Institute in uh, Tokyo, which is how Chambers and Kalman knew each other, was that Oswald Chambers came to visit them in Tokyo to see how it was run because God had put this ministry in his heart, too. And when he got back to England, he began to formulate the process by which he started his Bible Training College just after, just like, patterned right after um, the Tokyo Bible Institute. For all of these, though, the point was, to teach the people who are going out to be missionaries how to be good missionaries in the sense of training them in biblical studies and how to present the gospel in a way that works within their culture. Right. So one mission society, which is what it is now, went on. Oriental Missionary started in Japan, but it went to Korea. He went to China, and it is now all the way around the world. Um, and those are some of Letty's stories as well, which are coming up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, and what's remarkable, because in that day and time, the man was the head, kind of the face of the ministry. And when he would pass, usually the woman just kind of faded into obscurity yet as well. And yet, Letty just kept going. I, I loved I loved reading that she lived 80 years of age and mm-hmm. was still just as active as she was before, which is very, that's a good challenge for me as I'm kind of entering into this, like, you know, oh, wow, maybe I'm at the last quarter of my life. And how will I make it count for the Lord? Exactly. Yeah. She did take a while to grieve. She wrote a, what's basically hagiography, a a wonderful biography called Missionary Warrior of of her husband. And just about the time she finished grieving and thinking that through, she was called back to one, to Oriental Missionary Society because they needed help. Um, things were changing. The missionary organization was growing. She returned to Hollywood, which is where the center was at the time. This is just as movies were starting. So the, it was an early time, 1928-ish. Um, and while she visited during this meeting, the, the person who had succeeded her husband, Ernest Kilborn, he also died. Wow. And they needed a new leader of the Oriental Missionary Society. And the only obvious person was Lottie Kalman. This is in 1928. This is only seven years after American women got the right to vote. As wow. best I can tell, 
She was the first female head of an international missionary organization in the world. And, um, and then off she went. Now, she was a lovely, creative, charming woman, but her husband always packed her suitcase. She had never packed her own suitcase. Her husband <laughs> took care of her, remember? He saved her from a life of luxury, but she didn't even know how to cook. I mean, it's amazing. Wow. Let's go to tea. You know, little tiny sandwiches with your tea, but yeah, but she took over. She did not have a head for knowledge, for business. I mean, they knew that. So they gave her an excellent business manager in Francis Black. But what she had was an ability to hear God mm-hmm. that truly was prophetic, to, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. She would go out, she would pray for hours on end. This started almost as soon as she became a believer, scouring scripture, reading scripture, singing hymns, begging the Lord to show her what he needed her to say or do or where she was supposed to go. And it all came out of scripture. I'm not sure how many broken apart Bibles they have there at OMS, just not because she was cruel to them. She just wore them out, turning the yeah. pages, marking them all up. And um, that one of the um, assistants said, we'd have some problem in the office. And she'd go off to pray. And you'd hear her thundering away. She had a little piano in her office and singing. And then she'd come back a couple hours later with some obscure verse out of scripture and that would be what we did and we'd be like where does this even come from it's out of the old testament but you know what right time and time again it proved to be exactly what needed to be done and i've got some stories about what happened with that um in 1936 arise howells who was the president of the bible college of wales a very known famous man as an intercessor invited Letty to come to Wales and be the keynote speaker at a five-day international missionary conference. He wanted her to talk about the Great Village campaign. Come tell us how Charles did it. What happened? So off she went. Um, This is the same time as the Berlin Olympic Games. So she may have sailed across with some people going to those Olympics in Berlin with Jesse Owens and the war about, you know, there were war things going on in the background there. So she spoke for five days about the Great Village campaign. And at the end of it, Reese Howells looked at her and said, you are not done. God has got something else for Mm. you. I want you to go to your room. And I just want you to sit there, stay there and pray and ask the Lord what he has for you next. We'll bring you food. You can play the piano. You can walk in the gardens. But you need to be listening to what God has for you. She just came to Wales for three weeks in the summer. I mean, what was this? But she was also honest and dutiful and believed that God probably was up to something. And that's what she did. And I think she prayed for almost a week. And then on an early Sunday morning, God gave her a verse out of Jeremiah um, about, all right, I should have it on for me. I don't. It's in the book. You have to read the book. And um, <laughs> about going, being, bringing the gospel to the world was the essential theme of that. So she thought, okay, I have no idea what that means, but I think I'll go to church chapel starting. She goes to chapel and um, somebody stands up with a prophecy about being a gospel to the world using the same verse out of scripture. She thought, well, that's pretty interesting. And then someone got up to give the the speech or the sermon and he spoke on the same passage of scripture. Now, Joanna, wow. you've been a Christian a long time. I've been a Christian a long time. You get it three times in a short period of time. Okay, I'm in trouble <laughs> right. now. What is it you want me to do? <laughs> yes. So she went out in the garden and walked around among the roses thinking, what on earth does this mean, Lord? I will give you the world. 
And a couple came up to her who had been at the conference from Finland, and they said, we want you to come to Finland and do a great village campaign. And she said, well, I'm on my way home to L.A. in a couple of weeks. No, no, no. We think this is what, she, what God wants you to do. So she went back and prayed about that. Someone gave her a fur coat to wear. Someone gave her money to buy winter clothes for Finland. The captain of the ship they were on said, you can have my compartment. So she said, all right, I guess I'm going to Finland, Lord, if that's what you want me to do. And uh, that's what she did. She went to Finland and she began what was called the Great Village Campaign. And it was the last gospel campaign through Eastern Europe before Hitler marched through and the Iron Curtain came down. She started in Finland. She went to Estonia, Sweden, Latvia, Lithuania, um, Poland, Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia, I guess, um, Hungary. And she ended in Romania when the war began. And that's it. The Bible did not get through, you know, the tracks and so forth did not get through that Iron Curtain for 40 more years. Mm. And it's just like, Lord, that's that to me is even more amazing than the great village. Yes. She's in the right spot at the right time with the right ear to hear where God was directing and then to act on it. And what um, funded that whole campaign were the royalties from Streams in the Desert. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm going to cry. I know. It's just a huge story. And then all these other crazy things were happening to her. So, like, she's traveling through Europe with Mrs. Howells, Mrs. Reese Howells. And Mrs. Reese Howells says, well, on our way home to London, because they went all the way to um, Israel. I mean, they were all over the place. She says, let's stop in Paris. There's a group of women I know that like to pray for missionaries in Paris. So it was whatever night they happened to be in Paris. They go to this meeting, and the women are praying, and they look up, and they were like, oh, my goodness. Because it was a group of Russian women praying that someday Letty Kalman would get to come and visit them. And she walks in right then. They thought she was in China. She didn't know who they were. Oh, (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, let me encourage you, ladies. The Lord hears your prayer and he is responding. Wow. Well, it is such an adventure to serve the Lord when we're willing to step beyond religion, like, and like actually seek his face, actually listen and actually obey. Like we think it's going to limit us. And instead it releases our very destiny. Oh, wow. So how many people are in, are in heaven right now? Not just the people in that Eastern country, but the people behind the Iron Curtain. And the other interesting thing is like the OMS people are like, Letty, you've been gone for a couple of years. Could you come back? You are the president. And she said, I have one more person to see in London, Bath. Actually, he was in Bath. And then I will come. So um, she went to Bath for a personal meeting, tea with the family, with the emperor of Abyssinia, Haile Selassie, who, of course, at that time had been deposed, was living right. in exile in London. This is just prior to the war breaking out. So she's praying again, Lord, what can I say to him? What, what words of encouragement can I give this man, whom I know is a Christian? And the Lord gave her an encouragement, a word for him. And um, after tea, they went and sat together in his um, prayer chapel. And she said, the Lord wants you to know that he sees you and you will be returned to the throne of Ethiopia or Abyssinia, I guess it was at the time. And he said to her, thank you. Um, you're the only person in, in England whom I've met who's encouraged me in my faith. Thank mm. you so very, very much. And within mm. a couple of years, he was the king, Haile Selassie, of Ethiopia. 
his track record is his track record. People love him or they hate him. Yeah. Yeah. She was a prophet who told him what would happen. And he was a Christian king. He desired to act as a Christian. Whatever Mm. happened with him, we'll let history and God sort that out. Yeah. 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 Craziness. (laughs) You know, it just makes me realize, you know, the things that feel like obstacles the things that feel like tragedies, the things that the enemy has designed to absolutely derail and take us out, God can use. God can use when we just put it in his hands. Yes, we're going to grieve. Yes, it stinks to walk through difficult times. You know, I just think of how easy it would have been for Biddy to give up, how easy it would have been for Letty to give up. And I do just feel like even as we're talking, I feel the Lord saying for you and I and for those women who are listening, are you willing to carry the torch for the next generation? Because who's who's going to pick it up and who's going to just walk faithfully before the Lord? I, You know, the thing that is fascinating is neither of these women made it happen. No. They just did what God put before them. And he was the one who gave increase. And what I love about God is, Scripture says, those people who we know on on earth maybe won't be as known in heaven. It'll be the unnamed ones that are. So, So we're all invited into this great adventure of following Jesus. I would just love to have you pray for us as we close, because I just sense God's wanting to maybe just speaks to some hearts that are listening. Uh, Father God, we thank you for the example of both Letty and Biddy, uh, with Joanne's walk with the Lord, and that of so many women we know who have been faithful. And Lord, I just want to remind all the people listening that you see them. You see each Mm -hmm. of us individually. Yes. You know each of us individually. You know our strengths, but you also know our weaknesses. You know the situations you have put us in, and we we know because you have told us in your word that they are good. They may not look mm. good, they may not feel good, but they are good. And Father God, I just pray that like Biddy and Letty, we would choose to believe that you're in the midst of us and that you are leading us and guiding yes. us no matter where we are going. And when we get to the end, there you'll be with open arms mm. to love <laughs> us. God of love, you are God of grace, you are God of mercy, and I am thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I needed this interview. (laughs) I was really, really inspired by Letty's deep connection with the Lord and her willingness to do all that He asked. But listen, you guys, that intimate connection that divine friendship, well, it's available to each and every one of us. All we have to do is reach out to Jesus and ask for more and more and more of Him. Well, you can find links to Michelle's books as well as our interview about Biddy Chambers over at the show notes, but I hope you'll check out the YouTube version of this interview as well. I've included some of the pictures that Michelle talked about as well as a short audio clip of Letty's own voice telling her story. Perhaps you know someone who needs some encouragement today, perhaps just to keep pressing in and pressing on, or maybe to actually take a risk and step out into what God's calling them to do. 
Of course, I hope you'll share this episode, but you can also point them to my YouTube channel because I have other powerful interviews with women of faith, like my conversation with Johnny Erickson. Oh, you guys, seeing the beautiful glow on her face as she talks about Jesus, it's priceless. Well, it's my prayer that this podcast, as well as the YouTube channel, my books and my Bible studies, that all of this helps you fully occupy the place God's assigned to you. Because as you tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, He's going to help you live and love and lead like Jesus. And there's nothing more winsome, no testimony more powerful than a woman who's let God get His hands on her life. See you next time, my friend.